Some of you young couples, perhaps, remember this. And, and you know, you always have white lights on your Christmas tree at Christmas time. Um, no, 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 no. You have colored lights on the Christmas tree. And without that, it could hardly be Christmas, right? You have a lot of things like that. The, the, the husband, the father always takes the trash out. I mean, that's just how that goes, right? Or no, the, 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 the wife always does the laundry. You know, the, the woman always does the dishes. I mean, the husband, right? Based on our own experience. So we bring all of our preferences and our past and this can be tricky to navigate. That's just two people coming together. Now, when it comes to the church, when, when, when you come bring a church family together and a church like ours, hundreds, of, thousands of families, single adults, children adopted into a family, multiple generations, we're multi-ethnic and you bring all of these expectations, people from different ethnicities, uh, different denominations, church background, no church background, seekers, believers, unbelievers, everybody has a certain perspective of what the church ought to be. We all have this dream of what the church ought to be based on our own experience, right? So the question that we're going to be asking in these days ahead and the one I want to look at today is what did Jesus envision his church to be? Not, not, my, not even your pastor, not my opinion, your opinion up against someone else's, but what, what are the marks of a healthy church? That's what I want us to look at today as we think about the fact that we are family. Now, next month, we're going to be celebrating our 80th uh, anniversary as a church. Now, not many organizations last for 80 years. Not many businesses last that long. Uh, and yet, our church has been here 80 years as we press into the next, you know, 80, as we look towards 100 years. A lot of us forget, if you've shown up recently, uh, in, in October of 1939, a small group of people met in an elementary school. We were a church plant, is what we were. And it's possible to forget that and all that God has done. And I believe that we are in one of the most challenging moments in our church's history. I mean, in our cultural moment that we find ourselves in. So how can we be the church, remain a faithful presence, a, a relevant force and a beacon of truth in this cultural moment? So it's, it's critical that we get back to the church that Jesus envisioned us to be. So over the next uh, month or so beyond that, we're going to be talking about how we are the church. Now, there's going to be a few weeks there. I want you to know October 6, 13, 20, which will be the, the core of this series of messages. And I'll be preaching uh, messages to the entire church family across all of our venues. I'll come from the Great Hall and here in the sanctuary and in, in, the, uh, in Espanol, in the gym, uh, as we together seek to look at what are the marks of a healthy church. We're going to talk about the church enduring. We're going to look at the past. We're going to talk about the church uh, prevailing as we consider the church in the present. And we're going to talk about the church advancing as we look into the future. So here in 1 John 3, I hope you're there. Everyone turn in your Bible. Of course, the, 
One of the marks of a healthy church family, you could argue, is the Bible is central. Jesus is our focus and scripture guides the way. So 1 John chapter 3. Now let me place this in context because we haven't been walking through the book of 1 John here of late. So uh, John, you may know, is the same John who is the Apostle John who wrote the gospel. He's often known as John the Evangelist because he, he brings the good news, the gospel, in his writing. He was, uh, had a brother, somebody made an older brother whose name was, anybody? His older brother was named James. Jesus gave them nicknames. He gave some nicknames to some of his disciples. He called them sons of thunder, probably because of their fiery enthusiasm. We know a lot about John because he is self-described And I love this as anybody, he's the beloved disciple. He's the one Jesus loves. And listen, if you are a believer in Christ, you're following him, you received his grace, you're pursuing him, you're an apprentice of Jesus, that is your core identity. That's my core identity. I'm the one who Jesus loves. He's not bragging. He's saying, this is who I am at the core and it changes everything about him as we'll see. So in, in John chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 3, th- that first verse, before we get to our text, look at what he says. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. He used this word children. We find John now as an older man. Many think he's about 90 years old writing here and he uses this this language of an older statesman he's a very old grandfather type imagine a grandfather type who loves Jesus been walking with Jesus for so long you know older people you know this is true we either get better or sometimes we get bitter John got better because he was overwhelmed by the love of God in his life. And so he references them. He, he speaks of them as children. He uses that often. And sometimes little children, he calls them. And so we're hearing from a man who has walked closely with Jesus, heard the words of Jesus himself, and now he's teaching us and guiding us as, as we look at now what, what I could call the three birthmarks of of the church, of, of the family. So here, this is also a test. Some theologians have noted that this, this is a test. Do you want to know if you are truly a believer? Do you have questions about other people in your life? Where do they stand? I wonder what it really means to believe. You're going you're gonna to see this today. That's what John does. He lays out three birthmarks that, that, that you can't miss. You, it marks you as a believer. And he says, if you don't have these things then you may not be, probably not, a member of God's bigger family. Watch this. You can be a member of a local church and not be a member of the universal church, the big church, the the, the spiritual body and family of God. So let's talk about it. We are a family. Number one, I want you to see we are a family of faith. Now, clearly he's talking to the church, but look at what he says in 1 John 3, and then we'll look at this text that points us to this idea that we are a family of faith first. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. He says this a couple times through the book, that we should love one another. Now, if you've read 1 John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, um, 
John, by now in his life, he has like one message. I imagine every time, you know, a, a pastor would ask him to speak or come share with us. He has, a pre, he has a sermon and he has three points. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. Because of God's great love for us. We love each other. And this is what he's going to do here. But he's going to make a distinction. Here's what he does. He's going to make a distinction between those who are in the family and those who are not. He calls them children of God up against children of the devil. Well, that's not the kind of language we use a lot, but that's exactly what he's saying. If you're not a child of God, you're a child of the devil. So you need to determine which one are you a part of. And then he, he says this he he says that we are to love one another now i'm thinking that he's remembering back jesus words in john 13 34 which he would have heard firsthand a new commandment i give to you that you love one another just as i have loved you you also are to love one another but all of this starts with faith watch what he does watch what he does you can't get more from the beginning than going back to the beginning and look at what he says. He goes back to Genesis. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one. There's that kind of language again. And murdered, or he was yeah, of the evil one, and murdered his brother, that would be Abel. And why did he murder? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Now, suddenly, you're, it, it seems like a non sequitur. It seems like he's on a particular train of thought. We could say, wait, wait, John, you were talking about love. Now, all of a sudden, you just kind of jettison, redirect your train of thought. Now, you jump back to the first family. You're talking about hate. You're talking about murder. What in the world is going on here? Well, you know the story, perhaps. Cain and Abel uh, are the first born in, on the planet. And so think about this. The first baby born is a murderer. The second baby born is a victim, is murdered. This is where the fall goes. We're not even out of a few chapters in Genesis and we see this kind of hatred. This is how sin impacts and influences all of us. But what was his motivation? He was evil and envious of his brother. You probably know the story. Abel brought his first and best to the Lord. And then uh, his brother Cain, we brought a little something. He brought something. Abel brought his first and best and Cain brought a little something. So you might be thinking, well, that's, that's why he was accepted. It was the gift that was brought. But watch this. It wasn't the gift. It was the faith. Don't miss this. Behind the gift. Look at what it says in Hebrews 11:4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. By faith, he did this. Through which he was commended as righteous, God commending, watch this word commend, him, commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, there it is again, though he died, he still speaks. He's speaking today. The word commend is this word martyreo in the Greek. It's where we get our word martyr. The word means an expression or a testimony. Think of one who is martyred, murdered, killed for their faith. It's an expression of faith, a kind of sacrifice revealing 
that someone truly believes. So behind his gift was this faith. This is so important to understand. We enter into different families in a lot of different ways, mostly through birth, right? By blood, we can be adopted. That's another spiritual uh, picture in the Bible. But we enter into God's family by faith, not because your parents were part of the church or they were Christian, so you're Christian. Instead, here we see that we enter into the family of God by faith. This has always been the case. Abel's accepted into the family by faith. Cain is not because Abel's gift, look at this, was proof of the fact that he believed. He was trusting God. So what was Cain's evil deed? It was a lack of faith. It's a lack of faith. He murders his brother because he's a child of the devil. And and we could say, well, he, he was so evil that he murdered his brother. That was the evil deed. No, 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 no. He was evil before he murdered his brother. So you don't miss this. Just like all of us, Cain is not evil because he kills Abel. He's he's already evil, opposed to God and outside of his family, you could say, because he was not a man of faith. He was lacking the one thing that brings entrance into the family of God, and it's faith. Faith is a firm and certain knowledge of God's love towards me and and that I'm trusting not in my own ability, that's what Cain is doing, in my own ability to appease God or gain his approval. See, religion obeys God because he's useful. Christianity, we obey God because he's beautiful, because of his great love. He's beautiful and he's loving. God approves of you by faith in him, not anything you do, nothing that you work towards. We trust in his perfect love for us, his life lived for us, and in Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, we enter into this. So here's the point, the story of Cain and Abel, why did he bring this in? Because faith is trust, and it's revealed through our actions. I want to ask you this, pause for a moment and think about your life. Do people all around who know you know that you're a follower of Jesus? What evidence do you bring? What proof do you bring? See, he says here that that faith is going to be revealed by your actions. Are you bringing him first and best? Would people describe you as a follower of Jesus? That's what we're talking about. Because if not, are you? We're to live out. It's not just, well, I believe. I have faith. And then we live privately sequestered away from others who never see our faith. Because James, uh, the the brother of Jesus, of course, would say, without works, your faith is dead. Works and faith are always tied together. Our works don't save us, but saving faith always has works. How would we know if Abel had faith apart and what kind of faith he had if it weren't for the gift that was brought? Always tied together. And so if people don't know that you're a follower of Christ, you might not be one. Because you don't have action, words that represent, express the faith that is there. So the first mark of a healthy family is that we're a family of faith. Look at number two. We are a family of love. 
A family of love. Look at what he says in verse 14. Everyone looking at the scriptures together. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. See, we know that we're born again if we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death and everyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now you're going to see a contrast. This is important. Just, there's a juxtaposition of unbelief, hatred, murder, death versus faith, love, life, and sacrifice is where this is heading. The evil Cain did was rooted in his jealousy, his, his competitiveness, and this self-justification before God. You see, murder and Satan are always tied together. In fact, Jesus said to the Pharisees, John 8, you belong to your father, the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. See, we're never more like Satan than when we seek to, or how about this, murder someone else, take life away. And we're never more like God than when we promote life and bring others to life through our words, our actions, and all that we do. See, now at this point, as I, in my studies even, I thought, well, at this point, here's what the hearer, you're thinking, haven't murdered anyone, I'm good. This is good. I'm glad I came today. Um, this just doesn't apply to me. I'm feeling a little bit kind of righteous, and that's good. I haven't murdered anyone. Jesus is not so fast. Not so fast. You know, last week we talked about Jesus and his vision for human sexuality, if you were here. And what he does in the Sermon on the Mount, he equalizes all of us. Jesus says that if you have lust in your heart, if, if you look at someone, just think of someone, this is where pornography runs, if you just think or have lust after someone to satiate a sexual desire that you have outside of marriage, Jesus says, that's adultery. You've committed adultery. What? No, 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 I haven't committed adultery. He says, that is adultery. And then he does the same with murder. He says, if you hate someone, then, then that is murder. And again, if you're tracking with me, you're thinking, I, I don't know that I really hate anyone. I'm good. Well, I'm glad I came today. <laughs> this is good, really good. I'm doing well. I'm, I'm feeling affirmed. I'm encouraged. Jesus said, not so fast. He equalizes every single one of us. What if love is more than the thoughts we have? And what if hate is more than harmless private thoughts that we have about another person? See, listen to this. See, hatred seeks the disadvantage of the object of our anger or hatred. We do things to make it harder for them. I want you to think, I know hate is a strong word, but I want you to think about the ways that Jesus would challenge us here. You, you may think, I don't, I don't hate anyone, but let me ask you, are there people in your life that you, yeah, you struggle with? People that uh, you maybe just don't want to be around them. See, we deny certain people friendship by ignoring them. We deny them personhood by, by disregarding their thoughts. We can do this in our own families. And Jesus says that that's likened to murder. You're, you're killing a part of that person. We deny them hope and comfort by rejecting their needs. 
You see, what we need to understand here, what Jesus would teach us, is that hate is not simply this strong feeling. Hate is indifference. Hate is complacency. Apathy is hatred. And you're thinking, Jeff, that's kind of, those are strong words. No, that's what the scriptures teach us. You see, we're trying to make them less than the image bearer of God that they are. We're murdering a part of their humanity. And, 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 and what he's calling us to do is, is for us to love others. And watch this. Even when you put someone down, when you talk about them when they're not around, I've always taught our kids that growing up, when, you, when somebody's putting you down or you're putting someone down, the other side, you're just trying to build yourself up. That's a sad commentary on where you are and what you think about yourself. You need to know that you're loved for free. You don't have to tear someone down in order to build yourself up. Do you find yourself doing that? See, we all need to look deeply. Uh, Cain asked the question. You remember in the story, Cain asked, am I my brother's keeper? Asking God the question. The implied answer is, yes, you are. We are our brothers and sisters' keeper because love is an action and, and, and not to act is hate. See, Jesus didn't just bring warm and fuzzy thoughts to us. He says, you're to love one another as I have loved you. Love is a verb and love starts here is what John is teaching us. We learn how to love in the family of God. Some of us come from families where um, love was distorted. We maybe didn't feel so loved in our families. Maybe we didn't feel the love of parents in our homes. And we come to the church family, and, and what the Bible teaches us, we love in a radically different way. This is why for many of us, our church family and friends are, are closer than our biological family and others in our lives because we're connected in Christ. Rabbi Edwin uh, Friedman wrote a book called Generation to Generation. I read years ago. I've read it several times. And he is an expert in family systems theory, which really looks at the interaction of members of the family as a whole and the health of the church family as a whole. And, it, and he says that a congregation is like that. We all bring different backgrounds, as I've noted, but we do life together. But listen, this is so important in our day. And this is where I, I can totally affirm you all for being here, certainly. Not just preaching to the proverbial choir, but preaching to all of us, or to the real choir, how about that? And all of us, and it's this, we've got to come together. We must come together to spur one another on, to love each other, to learn how to love together. We do it in close proximity with each other. That's why our gatherings are so important. And more and more people are drifting away from a commitment to being in church on, on Sunday morning, every Sunday. We've got other things going on. It's not a priority for many of us. And so Hebrews 10, this is not new. So the challenge comes, and I want us to read this together. I thought this would be a good one, all of us together. Because it's let us, okay? Let's read this together. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So how should we love? We love by gathering together. 
But we go more than that. You can come in a large sanctuary like this and, and not really connect with other people. So we get into connect groups. We, we, we have um, our act like men groups that are starting soon. And we're going to gather next, next Saturday morning at 730. All men in the church. And this is the beauty of a cross-generational, multi-ethnic church that we're going to come together on Saturday morning, next Saturday. And I've got a word to bring to all men of the church. You come and join us because this is how we practice the one another's. You may know there are 59 one another's in the Bible. We love one another. We care for one another. We spur one another on. We pray for one another. You, you can't condemn or hate a brother or sister for whom you pray. Can't happen. Try it. Maybe the Lord brought someone into your mind a moment ago. Pray for them. Pray for them. Not for them to be diminished or for you to put them down in some way or disregard their humanhood. Instead, pray for them that the Lord would build them up. The Lord would, would, would remind them of how much he's, they're loved by him through you. See, this, this whole thing of love, agape love, which is the word that's used here, is a radical concept. And it's where the world takes notice when they see us loving like this. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, the, the, the martyr of, of the faith during Hitler's reign in Germany, he wrote a, a book called Life Together. And he wrote this. I want you to see this quote. The person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. I want you to think about this. But the person who loves those around them will create community. See, he, he's saying that it's like when you come to a new family. You come into a new family, you have presuppositions, we have selfish desires, frankly. I was talking to one of my young married brothers in our church recently, and, um, and he said, wow, I never knew how selfish I was until I got married. Anybody relate? Um, because it is true. We now have another person who has other needs, and we find ourselves in our selfish desires, our preferences brought into a family. It's why many families struggle with in-laws and outlaws, and it's why in our nearly wed class we teach how do you get along and we learn the phrase that's great um <laughs> when you don't agree or, or think that's the craziest idea i've ever heard in my life so our kids caught on to that and stacy and i that's great <laughs> so we we bring these different ideas into the family and well, here's what happens when our dream of what we want the family to be overshadows our love for each other, we are in trouble. And here's what I mean. For some of us, the dream that we, 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 are, we have in our mind, the vision of what the church ought to be is something from the past. That's my dream. I want it to be, and we, we all do this. Because our vision, our dream is, is very much built out of what we've experienced, what has meant so much to us, right? My dream is that we go back to the 1950s. That was, that was great, a great time. That's my vision. And if you're honest, some of us have that vision. And we're pushing against anything and everything that's progressive, moving forward to be relevant, to, to bring the gospel to the next generation. Because forms and, and and, and, and all of these things, programs, all those things change. But the gospel, making disciples, 
never changes. The mission doesn't change, right? We talk about this often. But here's the other thing. Some of us have this vision of the future and we're so focused on the future or what our dream is that it should be that we can't love one another in the present. And you can imagine as a pastor, I mean, real talk, I have hopes and dreams for our church family. And and, and I do look into the future. I think that's what I'm tasked to do. And those of us as leaders is to constantly be moving us into the future. But if my dream for the future becomes an idol or something that I just want, then anybody who stands in the way, well, well, you, you're, you're a problem. And and I've learned over the years, I, 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 God has given me a great love to shepherd the flock that he's given me and to truly love all the members of our church. Because if we have this great dream that then overshadows our love for each other, we'll never get there. And we'll never be the church he's called us to be. And so what about you? See? And then another area, not only within the body of Christ here, but the larger church family as well. Some of us live so isolated or detached from the broader body that we have this this tunnel vision that we are the church when the church is, but it's just our little part of the kingdom. And so we've got to get our, our heads up and our eyes out and we need to be blessing others. That's why our partners across Dallas are so important. It's why we pray. This morning, we're praying for churches across Dallas. I was praying for friends that I know by name this morning who are pastors that we love, pastors in the area. You can do the same. We're not competing against other churches. We are the body of Christ. And, and I would say this too. Let me just offer a little, little cultural um, moment here. Tomorrow begins this Botham John case. I mean, you're going to see it on the news, right, if you haven't already. And this, this, is, this is a complicated and tragic story on all fronts. So I had lunch this week with one of my pastor friends, uh, Todd Atkins, who's a pastor, down in South Dallas, and we've done some ministry with his church. And I said, I want to learn. Tell me. I want to learn more. Tell me from a black, black perspective, what, what, what are you seeing here? Because I can tell you what white people think. I can tell you what I think. I, we, let's talk. Let's talk. And, and what I learned, I've learned this for you know, many years, but here's what I want to challenge us with is this. How do you respond to something like this? First, we need to see that Botham John, on all accounts, was a godly man who loved Jesus with all his heart. He was a worship leader in his church, 26 years old, shot in his own apartment. And, and, and so he, he was this man who loved Jesus. My point is this. He was one of us. He's one of us. The first thing we should do here is grieve. Grieve. And be brokenhearted. A kind, loving young man taken from us too early. So the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, then all rejoice together. And this is not just in my little world. See, when we we come together, we grieve with one another. We comfort one another. We we, we seek and call for unity in the body. We, We pray that justice will be done when the facts are presented and we trust the system, which is difficult. 
for some. But we pray for unity because the way of Jesus is a sacrificial love. It's enemy love is what it is. I was at a funeral recently here at our church, and I was reminded. I just thought, wow, this is a church. This is a church. We grieve together. We love each other. But what does this look like? I'm going to close with this. Thirdly, we are a family of sacrifice. We're a family of faith. We're a family of love. But what does this love really look like? Well, here's what he says. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Now, when he's references, this is brothers and sisters. We, we first show the world what it looks like to love each other. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, here he is. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. You know, some of you like me, I love ice cream. I mean, I just do. I love ice cream. I, 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 love, I, I love the cowboys, I guess, more and more. I mean, if they're winning, I'm for them, right? I'm, I'm on the train. I love, I love my wife. You all know that. I love my, I love my church. I love you. Um, I love my dog. Now, surely those things don't mean the same thing. And yet, in some ways, maybe they do. See, for a lot of us, we've got love out of order. That's what sin is. Love out of order. We don't love the things uh, that we should love, and then we, we tend to love the other things that we shouldn't love. And so what is this love? Then let's define it. Jesus has shown us what love looks like, and it looks like this. It looks like a sacrificial death. That's what it looks like. So let's rethink what love really is. Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, he says to all of us, if anyone would come after me, if you want to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, okay, an instrument of death, sacrifice, and follow me. So we baptized some 50 people or so over the past few weeks and it is an image of our death burial and resurrection christ has brought us into new life and so what i love about our church is that we are a diverse church again cross-generational cross-cultural and i love every aspect of that and i praise god that he's called us together to love each other the biblical vision that God's given us has already been given. Jesus has given it to us. And it's not based on my past. It's not based on my dream of the future. It's based on what Christ has said Christian community should look like. And so we conform to his way of doing church, if you will. We must align our dream to him and to his dream for us. I die to my preferences is what this means. My way, what I think is best. And I look at the church as a whole. And I love my brothers and sisters together. You see, here's the thing, friends. Here's why I'm so passionate about us all coming together as one church. I mean, we all are. Uh, and, and why I want us to continue to be a more and more a cross-generational church. We're trying to figure out how do we bring the generations across the life of our church together? How can our elder folks with wisdom like John mentor younger people? It's happening. We need to do so much more. How can we become more and more a multicolored church with multifaceted expression of Jesus and his kingdom? Because a watching world looking at us, if we're not careful, they're going to say, oh, that's, that's, a, that's y'all's thing. 
That's your thing. A watching world will not believe us if we go at this alone. That's a, that's a, frankly, that's a white evangelical thing. That's what y'all are doing. That's a Park City's thing. That, that's a Baptist thing, or that's a Democrat or Republican thing. And instead, when they see us across racial lines, across generations even, even more radical in, in some ways, they're going to say something else is going on there. This is not normal. And this is the church that he envisions us to be. And so in 1 John 3.16, again, he says, this is, you know, we read John 3.16 this morning in our Bible reading. This is how it's lived out. Look, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. See, our, 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 our gift to others, love is constantly seeking the, watch this, the other person's advantage at my expense. That's love. That is sacrificial love, and that is rare. You see, love has the kind of power that cynicism only wished it had. I think it was Bob Goff who said, Jesus doesn't, he didn't come to make people Christians. He came to make us, turn us into love. That's what he's done. Philippians 2, 4 let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So friends, what will you sacrifice? What will you give? Where do you see indifference in your life? Let's be honest with ourselves. Where is complacency? Who do you need to reach out to, not wait for? How do you need to preemptively love others and seek their advantage, even those that you may struggle with? So, I want us to end with this passage here and then we're gonna close with a word from some of our very own members. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. I love that. Friends, if you're a guest, you might be sensing I think these people really do love each other. We really do love each other. 